0: This is Northland Outdoors Radio. John Devney, our guest Delta Waterfall on Northland Outdoors Radio, tell us about the Delta Canvasback project.
1: Well, Brett, we've been we've been, as you well know, we've been working on this whole predator management tool for a long, long, long time, and and but the lion's share of our work is really focused on dabbling ducks, and we know the dabbling ducks, you know, mallards, gadwall, shovellers, teal. Uh, lesser scob, nests in the uplands, and in many areas, the prairies have very, very poor nest success, very commonly under 10%. And so, you know, it makes pretty good common sense, and Delta's done the scientific research to demonstrate that managing predators in those land, in areas with high breeding duck density and low duck production can really, really help. And we can raise a heck of a lot more ducks in areas where we trap than areas where we don't. The great question, though, is, or one of the great questions is, what does it mean to species like redheads or canvasbacks? Redheads and canvasbacks nest over water, and can predator management be a solution for those guys? And, and it's sort of it's sort of the great unknown. The, the challenge we have with canvasbacks and redheads, Brett, obviously anything we do to make sure there's wetlands on the landscape helps. But, you know, planting grass and the kinds of things we typically do to increase duck production... Uh, um, doesn't really have an impact on canvasbacks and redheads because they're so tied to those aquatic environments and they're so tied to, um, you know, nesting in those clumps of cattail and and bulrush in the wetlands So the question is, can we elevate overwater nest or nest success through the use of predator management? And, and we're we're getting on with it to see if it's a tool that will work for those species as well as it has worked as hope it works as well as it has for puddle ducks.
0: And, and that's because puddle ducks are nesting in the grass on the ground, whereas these, oh. these ducks, it, these nests are really interesting because they are up over the water built in the cattails. Are the, the, can those predators, I mean, that's, that's partly designed, I'm sure, to stay away from predators. Are predators getting into those nests or is that the, the, uh, the focus of this research?
1: It is, and the, the fascinating thing is when you look at it, your assumption is, well, raccoons are going to be your primary culprit and and hence, remarkably, uh, we put some game cameras out on N last year to document the sources of predation. We didn't have any documentation of a raccoon. Uh, depredating a nest, but we had one of a coyote and one from a red fox. That red fox was almost neck deep in the water. It swam up <laughs> to that nest. So wow. you know, what you think you know versus what what's really happening out there is pretty instructive. And and you know, I think our general understanding is is that canvasbacks and redheads have a little higher nest success, but they also don't renest like a species like Mallard's does, Brett. So Anything you can do to make that first nesting effort successful has a disproportionate positive impact on canvasback production.
0: Well, that, that brings up another question because you talk about canvasbacks and, and redheads using the same type of nest. Sometimes there's eggs from, from bull species in the same nest, isn't there?
1: Uh, in, in southwestern Manitoba, where, we're, where the focus of this work is taking place in that Minnadosa pothole country, almost all the canvas-back nests are parasitized by redheads um, and you know what typically happens is the redheads aren't terribly sneaky uh, you'd think they'd be sneaky with that strategy but they're really not so what typically happens is a hen redhead will swim in while a canvas back is incubating her eggs and there'll be a big scuffle um, and in that scuffle, lots of times eggs get rolled out of the nest bowl, and a lot of the times those are canvasback eggs. And you, can, when you're out nest searching and looking canvasback nests, it's not uncommon to see, It's well, it's very common to see redhead eggs in almost all the canvasback nests. And it's not uncommon to see canvasback eggs submerged underwater uh, that it got sort of rolled out of that nest during one of those scuffles.
0: So the the hen redhead will will get up into the nest, kick out all the canvasback eggs and lay her own eggs in it?
1: No, it's not so much she's going to just lay one egg at a time and it isn't so much she's necessarily trying to kick out the eggs, but as that female canvasback is defending her nest, there's a bit of a tussle and you get two ducks in a small nest bowl bad stuff happens, you back (laughs) eggs, occasionally get rolled out. So I don't think it's willful on behalf of the redhead female. I think it's just a casualty of the skirmish.
0: So what happens when those eggs start to hatch?
1: Well, the challenge is you can get, you can get a developmental skew. So the, remember what the the redhead is doing is if you're, if you're female redhead, it's a great strategy, right? Because females die sitting on the eggs and you're vul- very vulnerable to predation. So what that redhead is doing is she's getting bred, she's laying eggs, but she doesn't incur any of the risk. And she doesn't have to hang around and raise ducklings. <laughs> and so what you will see is you'll see some eggs that aren't fully, fully incubated because between the time the first egg was laid and, you know, you get some late marauding redhead, um, you know, she may be Dumping that egg into a nest where the canvasbacks are on the verge of hatching, um, so those eggs just don't become viable. But you'll see lots and lots of canvasback broods with redhead ducklings. Really, in the all ca- over Minidosa.
0: So that canvasback hen will just raise the redheads, like sure like she own. doesn't
1: know she isn't. She's she's just doing. If, she, if those ducklings will follow her, and she will she'll attend to them just as if
0: they were her own. Well, I've seen some hunters out there mistake redheads and canvasbacks before, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, some. Some, right, Brad?
0: Some, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that, that's interesting. It's funny how nature works sometimes, and you hear about, uh, you know, eggs from a different species getting laid in, in a different nest like that, and, uh, you know, pheasants and prairie chickens have an interesting dynamic in that sense, too. What... So, uh, so the, that hen redhead... Uh, doesn't have to raise, <laughs> doesn't have to raise uh, those, those chicks, the, uh, the ducklings, the, uh, the canvas back does it. Um, let's see.
1: And she doesn't have to sit on the nest for, you know, if you, if you start looking at, uh, you know, if you start looking at exposure days, Brett, so female ducks lay one egg a day. So, you know, clutch size for redheads and canvasbacks probably eight, eight, nine eggs per clutch. And then you incubate for 25 or 26 days. So, you know, now you're talking about sitting there, you know, attending to that nest for 33, 34, you know, somewhere between 30 and 35 days. Those are a lot, that's time where you're very vulnerable. And and if you look at when females die um, and, and across their whole life cycle, they die during the nesting season. Hmm. And it's because of predation. So you're putting yourself at great risk. So that's why the redhead strategy is a good one because you drop an egg off and you go hang out. Um, you aren't sitting <laughs> attending to a nest every day. And so you're you're going to you're have a much higher likelihood of surviving. Plus, there's some risk to those females by attending to those ducklings. And as an adult female, uh, you don't get to go molt, go through your wing molt until those... Sucklings are, are flighted, right? So that has consequences as well. So, I mean, it's a cheating strategy, but it's a successful cheating strategy <laughs> that the redheads <laughs> use.
0: How do you tell the difference? Are the, are the redheads eggs a little smaller? Or how do you tell the difference?
1: A little smaller, a little different color. Uh, but, yeah, it's very noticeable.
0: John Devney, our guest, uh, Delta Waterfall here on Northland Outdoors Radio. Uh, John, I was up at Tazin Lake in Northwestern Saskatchewan last week fishing for lake trout. I saw my first surf scoter in the wild. That was pretty cool. I had never seen. I him tell before. you what.
1: Here's the thing, Brett. That is the way you want to see them. You want to have a casual. Uh, you want to have a casual relationship with surf scoters. <laughs> and scoters in general, they're not great eating.
0: Yeah, I kind of figured. we were we were looking at that duck, and uh, I saw it from a long ways away, and it was a little smaller, It was real dark colored, and I, you know, it had kind of a um, that yellowish, orangish bill. And from a ways away, I'm like, geez, is that a is that a coot swimming around out there? And uh, as we got closer to it, I could see the hump on the nose, and I was like, that Look, that's a sea duck. And, uh, and then as we got up and got some pictures of it, realized it was a, a surf scorer. And then when I took off flying, it kind of ran. I mean, it looked like a coot running across the top of the water before it was able to take flight. And I, I never had heard the, uh, the skunk-headed coot uh, nickname that the the yep, surf gonehead yeah yep. <laughs> that's uh...
1: well, and I tell you the only difference between those guys and a coot is a coot 's better to eat <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: um, there's a reason they have those big, huge shell cracking bills, and uh, i I've, I've had the pleasure of shooting a few white wings. Um, you know we shot some on a diving duck hunt in Manitoba, probably ten fifteen years ago now. And we'll see them occasionally here in North Dakota, not with any great frequency. Um, But you're hearing more and more reports of them on Lake of the Woods and Leech and Winnie. And and they see a goodly number of them on the Great Lakes. And they're an impressive creature, big, tough birds. But, man, they are not a duck for the roasting pan. (laughs) They are tough
0: to eat. Well, I know uh, Matt Brewer. I think has shot a couple white wings around Bemidji, and uh, a friend of mine, Jeremy Hawthorne, was was uh, getting ready to put a put one of my ducks on the wall canvas back. And I was over at his house, and he had a, a white wing scoter that Matt had shot around Bemidji, somewhere around in that area. So I've I've heard a few of them over there, and of course over on uh, Superior too, but. Uh, Either way.
1: They're a neat duck, but yeah. they are just, uh, that, is, that is, you're doing that for the experience. It's not a green wing deal to eat, my friend. I can guarantee
0: sure, you that. Sure. Well, uh, John, I'm looking forward to the duck season this fall as I am uh, 365 days of the year. Uh, I appreciate the time here on Northland Outdoors Radio.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, my thanks to John Devney from Delta Waterfowl, also Ben Putnam from Boundary Waters Outfitters, and of course, the Northland Outdoors staff Greg Kaiser, Becca Clemens, Brian Peterson, and thank you for listening and making it this far with us, our 200th radio show. And of course, tune into Northland Outdoors Television. I'm Brett Amundsen. Make sure you take some time to spend some time in the outdoors this week.
1: Northland Outdoors Radio is a division of Forum Communications Company and broadcasts across the Northland on the Northland Outdoors Radio Network. If you have a story
0: that we should talk about, let us know at northlandoutdoors.com.